and welcome to the Clone Star Podcast. I'm your host, Show Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Sean Ferrick. Each week, we will pick five of our favourite episodes from each Star Trek season. So come join us, beam aboard, and let's fly. Welcome back to the Clone Star Podcast. This week, we're joined by special guest host, the Inanimate Carbon Rod. And the reason for that is because Sean keeps on picking terrible episodes, so we've had to replace him with something far more interesting. But of course, that's not the case. I am your host, Joe Hurley. In Rod, we trust. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing what, 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 in what way from this absolutely wonderful season of Star Trek did you pick a terrible episode I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to that um, that choice Sean, season 4 of The Next Generation we have managed to get this far um, there's only one way to describe this um, I was looking back at the book I think it's the continuing mission kind of a review of The Next Generation and for season 4 it's got a great kind of uh, the, the cover of the chapter is of uh, Riker holding Ishari Yar in his hands when he beams back up. And the title of the chapter is The Best Gets Better. And I don't think you could define the season any better than that. It's brilliant, it's short, it's to the point, and it completely encapsulates everything that's going on here in season four. That's excellent. No, I hadn't heard that before. So that's excellent, um, that, that description of it. Um, because as we discussed last week, season three is pretty damn strong. Um, and... Like, much as we've said, we both really enjoy season two and we're really glad of the massive jump in quality in terms of confidence, I think, as well. Yes. Um, I mean, yeah, it really does hit its stride at three. But, I don't know, four and spoiler at five is pretty good as well, are up there with... I had I once had a wonderful slash horrendous assignment for work, which was rank every season of every Star Trek. Now, it's out of date because that was before Lower Decks and before... I think we only had Discovery Season 2 at that point. Mm. Uh, we, we had the short treks, and I did include them as well. But yes, um, TNG Season 4 is in the top five. Like going through it, like I text you after uh, we'd recorded Season 3, and I said, I don't know how the hell I'm going to pick five episodes from Season 4, because like even like when I was going through it, I was there going, I can't leave that out. But if I, you know, I, I, I could have just, we could have discussed the whole season but sean without further ado i'm gonna let you tell me what is your first choice well my first choice is not from season four so that's our that's how i've managed to get around of honor it's yeah. finally happened it's finally it's happened here honor. we go so we have to go to the no. planet ligonia um no it's actually uh, happening oh, yeah i i i i'll never not worry about you and your obsession with that episode uh, anyway anyway maybe you're just not ready to let go of tashi and that's okay that's fine no of course anyone who has listened to this episode hopefully listened to the end of last week's episode for the greatest cliffhanger in podcast history mr wharf fire so yes, of course, you cannot discuss one part without discussing the other. And that is, of course, the best of both worlds. Um, so we close out season three with the return of the Borg, which leads us into our cliffhanger for season four. Um, I really don't think I need to go into the plot of best of both worlds. If you're listening to this podcast, you know what happens in best of both worlds. Okay. But that um, means you you bought yourself two minutes to describe the plot of Code of Honor then instead altogether. So that, just... I'm done. 
no, you can, I'm done. You can you can do that thing right now. I'm done. I'm done. No, I, I, what did I tell you last week? I said one more mention of it. So there you are. Now, best of luck. All right, show what look, have you got for your pick? I'm silent look, for the rest of the episode. Our good friend Stephen has threatened to sue me over the fact that I erroneously claimed that he it's one of his favorite episodes. I'm now upgrading it to saying it's his favorite episode. Um, so <laughs> one of the things I love about Best of All Worlds is that, especially the behind the scenes thing, is that Michael Pillar kind of wrote it in terms of he was Riker in that situation about whether or not he should say or he should go. And then he wrote it basically with the idea that he wouldn't he wouldn't be back to write the sequel so he gave it an almost impossible um problem to be solved and it's so good to know that when you watch it back that you know because then it it, it, it it makes the other conclusion even better because he's building it towards the unsolvable problem it is like it's a massive it's a massive problem but also it's it's an incredible achievement for many reasons best of both worlds it will always i don't necessarily agree with this my controversial statement but it is always voted the best cliffhanger in star trek history um there i think there are several contenders for that all incredibly strong and i'm not saying that this doesn't deserve the title i'm just saying that star trek in its infinite amount of content has given us a lot of uh, contenders for that title. You look like I just pissed on a nettle and threw it in your face. No, no, no. You see, I think the problem with cliffhangers, and especially so sorry this one, for that description, Joseph. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's when you're going to go with. That's fine. I, I, <laughs> the inanimate carbon rod will be in place next <laughs> week. We discuss code of honor in more detail. Um, <laughs> so basically, right. <laughs> to everyone listening to this episode, I'm sorry, this is an aside. Could someone please just ring him and talk about Code of Honor with him for 20, 30 minutes, whatever, and then he'll be fine. He'll get it out of his system. <laughs> the thing with the cliffhanger of the best of all worlds, I think that the problem is it's almost the same as like the Empire Strikes Back thing at that in terms of, I think it's one of those things you had to be there. I think the problem for us is nowadays is we didn't live it live. Some people might have. People might be listening to this. Might say, I remember that live and things like that, right? But for us, we didn't. So we know what the, you know, like if you were a new person watching Star Trek and you were watching this for the first time, you'd be there going, well, I know Picard's not going to die because it's continued on. But at the time, with the fact that there was also, you know, there was behind the scenes uh, rumblings of contractual issues with Patrick Stewart and all that, there was a belief that, you know, it, there could actually be an issue. And as well, you had to wait a good few months for the conclusion. So I think the problem is we're, we're looking at it from a point of view of we can see the whole thing. But at the time, you know, there was only basically, you watched the episode, the episode ended, that was it. You had four months to wait. Yeah. And and it was I just actually had a check there of the air dates because I was I was trying to think to myself well I was alive for Best of Both mm-hmm. Worlds but do I remember it? It was 1990. It was 1990. 18th of so air date in America now. 18th of June 1990 was part one. Um, now I shockingly I don't remember 1990 very well, <laughs> having been born February 1988. So yeah, yeah. I was I, I was two. Like. So. It's brilliant. Like it's staged absolutely excellently and all that kind of thing. I said, look, obviously it's diluted by the fact that we know it's going to happen. I would love to have seen it live, but obviously mm. I didn't. I knew that Picard survived and that kind of thing. But just how it all kind of just just so much about it that's absolutely just off the charts in terms of how cinematic it is and how dangerous and kind of like there's so much going on. Like like one thing that we discussed this before is the Borg 
became never really were scary after this. It was it, like first mm. contact aside, right? You mm. even Voyager and all that, it diluted, right? There's an unbelievable line in this when Picard is captured and he's talking to the collective, and they're basically there, like, you know, we'll take your individuality and all this. And Picard says to them, um, I'd rather die. And their response is, death is irrelevant. And I also remember one of my best friends, Dave, said to me before, he said, when you think of it, he said, to, to us, death is the ultimate thing. And he said, to them, it's nothing. And he said, that's why Picard is so shocked, because how do you respond to that? They don't give a damn. If, they're, if they die, it doesn't bother them. Whereas as human beings and you know, whatever, it's, you know, it's the ultimate thing for us. But when Picard says, you know, in his kind of protest, I'd rather die than join you. They're going, we don't care about that. It, it's, it, it, that's actually, sorry, I, that's a fantastic way of looking at it because yeah, for human beings, I'm, I'm fairly certain Riker must discuss this at some point or another, just in the run of Star Trek, that the hmm. strive to survive really takes over an awful lot of other things. Even you know, the strive to succeed and the strive to, su- to survive are two different things. Yeah. Um, and which is actually captured in Tapestry. By the way, I'm calling Tapestry when we're doing season six. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Heads up. Um, Damn it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, easily one of like top three episodes of Star <laughs> Trek, let alone anything else. Ah, maybe top five. But so we see in Best of Both Worlds, we see a clash of everything, really. Um, and we see, uh, I think, I think, right, so right, this is I this this is hardly I'm not shaking uh, the foundations of anything when I say this, but the best of both worlds is not a Picard episode, it's a Riker episode. Yeah, the fallout is Picard, sure, but the actual story, the best of both worlds, that would that should turn up on any Riker fan collective. And the reason because of that is that once Picard is assimilated, he is largely out of the story. Yes, yep. we get a bit of Locutus and all that, and we get about what about say it's about the first half of part one and then the last scene of part two and that's picard's contribution to best of both worlds so when saying that to people who are maybe coming to it for strangely enough the first time they're like oh this is the great picard episode is like yeah is it though um and what you see i think is that from riker's point of view a lot of performative authority when he and Guinan and he have a fantastic talk in part two in the ready yep. room where he can't bring himself to sit in Picard's seat. Yep. Guinan walks right in, walks around the table, sits in Picard's seat and says, you haven't accepted that he's gone yet. And yep. to which Riker goes, I just tried to kill him. And she said, no, you didn't. You tried to kill Locutus. You didn't yep. order the fire on Picard. Because of course, yes, the cliffhanger for Best of Both Worlds is they have, you know, devastating MacGuffin style weapon has been, uh, designed on the Enterprise D. It's a one-shot kill. If it doesn't work, we're screwed. But it'll definitely work. Jordy says this is going to work. It's going to be grand. Yeah. And Picard, uh, Riker stands there, watches Locutus introduce himself, and gives the order to fire. Boom. To be continued. Four months wait time. Everyone's like, oh my god. Oh, what the action for that? Of course, now, if you watch it, it, I will say, in fairness to Netflix over this one, Netflix airs it as two episodes. It has been edited into yeah. one. Don't watch it as one. It doesn't no. work. The syncing doesn't work. You need to have that cut. It was designed to have that cut. Did you um, notice as well, one of the things what you were just saying there as being a Riker episode, like one of the things that Shelby says to Riker in Turbolift is basically, if you can't make the big decisions, you know, make room for someone who can. And at the end of the episode, it's the ultimate decision. Like, you mm. know, kill basically his captain, his friend, like, 
and just get rid of him. Like, what's great about like that thing with Riker, isn't it? Like, you know, I lo- I love the character, and I love when you see him in command because he makes the he, he you know he can be very definitive about decisions he makes. I love the fact there's no messing around. Like, he just straight away just instructs the order to fire. Like, there's no emotion. There's no kind of holding back as if only one chance to do it, and it's brilliant. Absolutely, and I think to the ultimate credit of Jonathan Frakes, he sells everything in that scene. I'd say. You know, when you describe someone as like they're chewing the inside of their cheek, either to not speak or to not react in some way. And like, it looks as though by the end of that scene, there's nothing left on either side of his mouth because he has just, you know, every tendon in his neck is out. Everything is clenched. And, Mm. And in fairness as well, in fairness to everyone in that scene, Worf fires. There's no, like that, there's no hesitation. Like he gives the order and they hit the fire, but there's none, because you see a little bit as Star Trek goes on when the situation calls for it, but fire, really? And there's another, there's a fantastic scene that includes Worf, it's way down the line now, but an order is given to fire and Worf goes, are you sure? Um, And then the order is repeated, whereas, and this, Mr. Worf, fire, the order is given, he fires. Now, Star Trek being Star Trek and contract negotiations being contract negotiations, the weapon doesn't work. Uh, and it's fairness, they write themselves out of it easily enough. Yeah, Picard is assimilated, they have his knowledge, and so they were able to adapt to the weapon before it fired. We didn't know that yet. That's again the thing. Like, we didn't know that once you are assimilated, all of your knowledge becomes a part of the collective. We're like, what do you mean the weapon doesn't work? Ah! Um, and then what follows is on a 1990 budget, I think they handled Wolf 359 as best they could. Oh, completely. Because, like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, there was no way, even because when you think the opening of Emissary, where we get a couple of shots from Wolf 359, again, that was about as well as they could do it. But obviously, now, I mean, first context is still probably the best version of Wolf 359 we've gotten, even though it's not Wolf 359, obviously. But, you know, and it was great. And even that was done on a budget. I'm losing my point here. But going back to Best of Both Worlds 2, you don't see the battle. You get communique from an admiral who's uh-huh. then, the call is cut off. And then you get, of all characters, you get Data just looks at Riker and just shakes his head from side to side. And that's enough but, for us to know that there's nobody on the other end of that phone. That's the party's over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, see, thing is... Uh... I'm kind of, I'm one of those people who actually doesn't mind the fact that I don't see the battle. I actually like it more because there's a bit of a mystery to it because you're kind of there going like, how bad is it actually uh, being like? And then, you know, when you see the Enterprise arriving there and you see the basically the ruins of all the ships and you're totally shocked because you're going, Jesus Christ, like, yeah. like that's just one Borg ship. Like, and you're going, oh my God, this is unbelievable. At least, and it's properly because Star Trek, doesn't really do horror very often. No. Uh, we had it a little bit in TOS, Wolf in the Fold, uh, to, a, to a certain extent, Devil in the Dark. These would both have been, I believe, Cat's Paw, but it's so long since I've seen Cat's Paw, but that's usually because they have the witches from Macbeth are in that. They kind of went for a Halloween type yes. feel off it. So those are episodes where, you know, that's horror-esque. Uh, then TNG, we really didn't have it seasons one and season two. Uh, I suppose you could argue Skin of Evil kind of Code of Honor I suppose yeah is horrific very much in its own way for the fact that you keep bringing it (laughs) up whereas this was 
you don't need to see the attack to see the impact. And when you see a fleet of Federation starships that are just on fire in space, mm. and it's when, well, it's, it's all of it, but it's when Shelby is calling off the names of the ships. There it is, the Kyushu, the Tolstoy, and she just gulps, looks at Riker and goes, the Melbourne, which is the ship he had just been offered command of, that if he had been at Wolf 359, he would be just another body in the wreckage. Yep. And they did that as well. Now, I, I have to say, for years, I just didn't notice. So when the Enterprise first arrives, you have the broken hull of a Constitution-class starship. It was a deliberate inclusion by the filmmakers to go that even if Kirk was here, he would have lost. Yes. Um, now, but they never addressed it because they didn't need to. Like, and also, it would be too much. Arguably, I'm not saying any one Star Trek at the moment, but there are, if it was television today, arguably, they would have gone, oh my God, even Kirk would have died. Yes, we know. <laughs> we have eyes. Let's beat you over the head with the, with, the, with the obviousness of this statement. Yes. So, yeah. And it's actually funny enough because they repeat, they repeat the same shot. I think you'll know. I've watched this one or two they times. Yeah. They repeat the same shot twice. In one shot, it's there. And in one shot, it's not. Because again, yeah. the message has been delivered. The... um. There's one scene as well. It's, it's, it's just for a second when anyone is showing Picard being assimilated and you see a single tear falling down off his face. Like, and it's absolutely devastating because you're going, Jesus. Like, because he's obviously, you know, he knows what's happening to him. Mm-hmm. His individuality has been ripped from him. I love as well at the, like, the conclusion. It's not down to like weapons fire and things like that. I like the fact that, because like there's no way to beat the Borg. There just wasn't. Absolutely. Except for this way. It was just, it was, again, it, it was all they could, kind of really had. And I really like the fact that when Data kind of says to, um, oh, geez, that's it, that's right. <laughs> just before the, this scene, when the Enterprise is about to be destroyed in orbit of Earth, and uh, Riker's about to give the order to engage, and Data says, hang on. And then uh, a few seconds later, Riker's there going, you know, Mr. Data, your final report. <laughs> and Data says, stand by. And Riker's there, I can't, Mr. Yeah. Data. But when Riker goes down to Data's lab, and Data's working on Picard, and so he just says, like, you know, this is a chance for us to do a bit more kind of investigation. And then Riker's just there going, nope, just disconnect yourself from there now. Let's get the hell out of here and let that thing blow up. And I love the fact that this has been referenced in two other episodes then as well. I love in The Wounded that Ben Maxwell says that to Riker. And I love in DS9's Homefront and Paradise Last that Ben Sisko says, hey, we haven't been this nervous since the Borg scare. And you're going, oh my God, it's so cool that There's he references it. Actually, you're dead right. And obviously it gets plenty of references, but there's another one that hits home. It's in um, the Dias cast in DS9 and you had Admiral Pressman. He's basically giving Cisco a massive dressing down after Cisco takes the Defiant in to save Odo and Garrick. Yes. And he's going from what it looks like no ships got out of uh, the Omarian Nebulids, all the wrong, all the Tal Shiar and the Obsidian Order are gone. And Pressman just goes, it's like Wolf 359 all, all over again. <laughs> whoops shouldn't have said that uh, like, anyway, look um, at the time i better go to admiral stuff bye oh my god i never even thought of all the people to say it to ah, how have i never got that before i love these little moments i love being surprised by star trek even now oh i love that Yay. see i still get new stuff out of star trek um now actually funny enough i'm just I'm not skipping ahead, but I'm actually bringing my next episode in because you kind of have to talk about them as a trilogy. And the next episode is Family. 
Smart because part of the rules. Hang on it a is absolutely. Yeah. No, it's not. While you while you're over the there watching Code of Honor, I'll talk about this. Um, oh yes, here we go. So Lee- <laughs> because kind of accidentally, but kind of on purpose, Best of Both Worlds and Family become the first serial in Star Trek history. Yeah. Uh, now you could argue that Wrath of Khan's Search for Spock Voyage Home should have that honor. You could argue Space Seed Wrath of Khan. So I won't hang my hat on this, but certainly when Ronald D. Moore was talking about how this story came to be, even getting the scene of at the end of Best of Both Worlds 2, where Picard has been rescued from the collective, the board cube has exploded, and he's sitting there in his ready room. And for all intents and purposes, he looks like he's back to business. You know, he's got he's got a couple of pads on him to kind of help the skin heal because this is knowledge that was immediately deleted from the Federation Starbase so that the emergency medical hologram wouldn't have access to this. Um, and therefore we had Seven look the way that she did. And uh, moving somewhat along, you know, they had pushback on having Picard put down the cup of tea and just stand there looking outside the window, showing that he was very much affected by his assimilation. Yes. Yeah. That was, they didn't want that. Again, this was, this was TN, this serial TV. It was not thought of in terms of Star Trek at this point in 1990, because we don't want, literally, we don't want to do that. That was it. That was, that was the, the mentality behind it is we don't want to do that uh, because we won't get new viewers. If you have to go and watch other episodes every week, they're not going to show. And they did argue and they won this argument that come on, this is the most traumatic thing that's ever going to happen to a, you know, someone who survives. You need to address this. And so what they do is they lead then straight into, so family happens in, you know, Picard presumably looks outside the window and then turns around and the episode family begins. And everyone yeah. is at Earth because the Enterprise is undergoing repairs at McKinley Station, which I can't wait till we get a model of that one because I love it. It's a big, big crab claw. Um, and so they're like, Grant, let's everyone just dial it down. Let's just chill out a little bit. Picard, you go down to Labar in France. That's cool. Worf, here's your parents who are from Russia because of course they are. You know, this is fine. This is Grant. We're all going to chill out. Um, this as well is we have Wesley Crusher gets to see a hologram of Jack Crusher, which is just like right in the heart for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite, it, it is deliberately, it, it, okay, it's a bit mushy, but I like it. I like the mush in this episode, I have to say. I think as well, there's just something about the Jack Crusher thing. In a way, I always like any reference to Jack Crusher. He actually, like even the small explanations, he seems like a really kind of nice fella. And like he always comes across as being presented in that way. And like obviously, you know, the whole issue with him, because like he's brought up in like this episode, he was brought up in in the bonding in season three, which we discussed last week. And he is brought up again in violations as well. Well, his death is brought up in violations too. Like mm. so it's like I always like references to him again because of the fact that I suppose you know, two of his family are on the enterprise and it's very easy to kind of you know, involve them in it. But yeah, family is family is just a wonderful, wonderful piece of because again, like we don't see Picard and anything other than being kind of like the man in command on the enterprise and all that kind of stuff. And here when he's at home, you know, his brother utterly, utterly hates him. And at every chance he gets he'll make a comment. Like, it's like when Renee asks Picard, did you get a ribbon for your, whatever it was, your essay in school? And Picard's there, uh, I don't recall. And then Robert goes, of course he did. You always got the ribbon. And it's basically 
the entire episode is just you know Robert doing that to to Jean Luc like and I love the final kind of you know the way it works out then when they just you know finally get sick of each other and just finally have a fight and then Picard just completely breaks down. He he really adapts the tough love for better or worse, and there are definitely bits of it where it's worse, but he uses the tough love approach to Jean Luc and. I suppose, in a way, it's what was needed. Now, Robert is still an unpleasant gentleman, but you get by the end of it that it was with a good intentions, yes. at least. I mean, that scene in the mud, it starts out and becomes quite silly, right? Because yes. it's two <laughs> middle-aged men having a rollabout in the mud and they start laughing and then we start laughing because we can see how silly it is. Um, and then... Yeah, we see something we have never seen before. Jean-Luc just completely breaks down. Um, does. And it's it's very difficult. Yes. Very, very difficult to watch. And but, so needed. Um, and I think one of the reasons it's so difficult to watch is, as you said, like we, we're, we're so used to episodic TV and like how everything just you know, comes to an end and that's it. As you said, you know, right, producers, writers have been happy with just Picard staring at the window going, yeah, that's fine, next week, you know, the Enterprise goes to wherever, and that's fine. And, like, in this, like, for him to actually explain, you know, like, what they did to him and how he viewed it, and, like, it sounds actually, and what's worse is with Picard, Picard can explain it to you as well, properly, like, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's awful listening to it because it just sounds like he was destroyed by what they did. Complete and utter. And, I mean, it would, and that's why, that's why I'm glad the writers... They stood their ground on this one and said, we need to address this. You don't just walk away from this the next day and be like, huh, that was a rough weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, for the 11,000 people. Um, so that is actually, so that's my first block of episodes for this season because you can't really start season four and not discuss Best of Both Worlds into family. Um, no. Obviously, Renee and Robert, we will discuss again, but not for a while. <laughs> Um, but uh, but also Sergi and Helena Roshenko, lovely to be. They're just fun. Um, they're just nice Out and yeah. it's some lovely scenes between them and Worf and Guinan as well. And Chief O'Brien as well. Mm. I mm. have all the maps and diagrams. <laughs> but uh, but yes, okay. So that was my first kind of three. So show what do you have for us? Um, which one will I follow up? What is the best question? I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Legacy, actually. Oh, um, what an episode! I've watched it um, a good few times the last couple of years, and I just every time I watch it, I'm always hoping that the end will be different, and it never mm. is. And I always feel kind of a bit depressed about it. But what's actually funny is, like we discussed before, we used to have problems, kind of you know, summarizing the episodes and all this. And then, you know, the more you summarize it, you're kind of there going, so much of some of the plots is so erroneous. <laughs> you're just there going, who the hell cares? Like, just talk about the central plot. Matter. Yeah. Two in two seconds. Basically, the Enterprise goes to Turkana 4, where Dashier is from. Two engineers from a ship have been basically, they, were, they, were, they had an incident. The Enterprise couldn't get there fast enough. They're on the planet. The Enterprise has to rescue them, but they're being held captive on the planet, there's only two gangs, the Coalition and the Alliance, and Tashera is part of the Coalition, I believe, and it's the Alliance who basically has them. So effectively, Picard has to make a deal 
with the uh, with one side, which is the coalition. Um, so they figure out then that Tasha's sister is on the planet and her name is Ishara. So of course the leader Hain figures that he can use this to his advantage. So he sends her up onto the ship um, to basically you know help them with the kind of recovery attempt. There's a lot, there's actually a lot going on here. Um, it's funny, like watching these episodes is one thing, watching them when we're discussing them, it's another thing because you focus a lot more on what's going on, like character motivation, situations, dialogue and things like that. And um, what I liked watching this is, you know, Ishara has nearly a scene with everybody. And then you kind of, you know, you see everyone starting to like her and to trust her, especially Data. And you're, you know, and she kind of is starting to kind of, you know, it looks like she's warming to them and she's kind of going like, I might enlist in Starfleet. I want out. I don't want to be here anymore and things like that. And you're kind of deep down going, oh, lovely, that's great. Because, you know, we don't have Tash Air because she's dead. And we'd rather now just get this one on board. And no matter how many times I watch it, I'm constantly going, yeah, no, no, this time she's going to do it. She's going to definitely join the crew and all that. But of course, no, it's all wrong. It's all a lie. It's all made up. She's only using the crew of the Enterprise to, you know, kind of, you know, get what they actually want. So basically what they want is, is that they know that the, that the Enterprise will be able to help them infiltrate the Alliance section and be able to dismantle their shields, and then the coalition will be able to basically destroy them and just take over. That's what the plan is the whole way along. What's one of the cool things about it as well is the very start of the episode, there's a poker game, and um, Data bluffs Riker, and he wins a hand. And the whole thing is, Riker says to Data, you're, you're getting better at this. Like, basically, you're getting better at reading people. And the entire episode then is how all of them get played because none of them, including Data, can read Ishara and what her actual true intentions are. And in the end then, obviously, it comes back to bite them um, as well. There's a cool reference to this as well at the very start of the episode with an uh, original series reference because Legacy is the 80th episode of Next Generation, which is, surpasses the original series 79 episodes. So when the episode starts, Picard's log is that they were going to be going to Camus 2 which is the name of the planet oh, yeah. from the very last episode of the original series, Turnabout Intruder. Oh, yes. Um, okay. I did not remember that. I won't lie. Um, but... Okay. I have no comment to make on that, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Legacy is good because I completely... I mean, like you just, you're just willing her to be Tasha, and she's not Tasha. Um... Although, I mean, this actress, the fact that she's not Linda Hamilton confuses me to this day. Yes, absolute head offer, yeah. I mean, and she's not her actual twin because her actual twin is in Terminator 2. Um, That's right, yeah. But yeah, because the image of her. And she's excellent in the part and about as 80s as it's possible to get, even though it was in the 90s. I mean, that hairstyle. I love it. She looks, she looks badass from the beginning. The hairstyle is absolutely hilarious. Like, there's a, there's a great thing as well. Like, because like, yo, know, she views Tasha as a coward for leaving, and I love Picard's story about how he first met Tasha Yar. That basically she ran through a minefield to you know get people off, uh, to get people to safety and things like that. It's kind of cool. I also love how well I love it. Uh, I really, hmm, I'm not going to say enjoy. There's a yeah. The way database explains Tasha Yar's death is just kind of it's very blunt and it's very cold. And it's just basically, yeah, she was killed. This guy just wanted to show how powerful he was, and he just killed her. Anyway, moving on very swiftly. <laughs> You're going, oh, God, that's quite awkward. Um, 
towards the end of the episode as well, when uh, Ishara is about to, you know, when she's about to take down the whole detection grid, and um, Data and Riker combine to phaser knock her out. Data goes over, does a full Riker on it. He puts his foot up on the terminal, but the way he holsters his phaser, it's almost like a Robocop way of kind of spinning the weapon around. It's the most ridiculous thing ever, but it's brilliant. It's just, it's just how he does it is absolutely excellent. And we see then as well as at the end of the episode when um, the plan is foiled and uh, we're so used to Can you hear me now? Yep. Right, sorry, my mother was ringing me. So I'll ring her back later so we can just cut all this out. Um, what part did I stop at? Just stop for five seconds. And at the very end of the episode, when uh, Hain, the leader, is trying to justify what he's done, and uh, Picard is, complete, is basically silent for most of it. And it's Riker's the one who absolutely has no time for Hain as eight them alive. And then the end, Picard is just there going, look, whatever, get off the damn ship. I have no time for this anymore kind of thing. It's a great episode. It's really good. It's just, you know, the, Data and Riker have a, have a nice scene at the very end when Data's kind of talking about, you know, how do you trust people? Like, because basically she took us all for mugs. And Riker says, like, in all trust, there is the possibility of betrayal. And it's always nice when Star kind of brings it back to, you know, just something, a kind of a moral as simple as that. I mean... There is no easier definition of trust, really. It's like you don't trust because you know somebody can be counted on. You yeah. trust because you accept the fact that they might not be counted on and you still trust them anyway. Um, and it's yeah. very easy to... Uh, there is a... From another long-running franchise, there's a great quote that says, good people are the easiest to manipulate. I can't really say that's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. So data being the goodest really of them all because all he is completely them, yeah. he is amoral but mm-hmm. that's never presented as bad in star trek amoral technically not amazing <laughs> it's like you know oh it would benefit the ship if i vented all of the people out into space could oh no could we not give him that power anyway um <laughs> but uh yeah a great episode um really tugs on the heartstrings great way as well of kind of showing without going Natasha was amazing and the rest of her people are crap it kind of still manages to do that yes. without making a massive statement of it but it also kind of says look you might come from something it doesn't mean you are that thing yeah and I think kind of Picard alludes to it at one point he kind of effectively says like we all we all wanted to see something in her and it's just not there yeah um that's my pick. Um, are you going or am I going since you took about 18 episodes there in one go? Why don't why don't you go for the next one and then we'll be back on track? Excellent stuff. I'm going to pick brothers. Um, I did because... think that you might. So I'm not going to yes. lie. <laughs> because I think that's straight after family. Um, it's actually... Brother... Oh, no, family. Sorry, you're dead right. I was going to say it's after legacy. No, I... never mind. I'll be quiet. Yes. Um, yes. I'm not going to lie to you. It was brothers or it was... Um... Jesus, what's the name of the episode? The, oh, for the love of God. I'll try and find that very quickly while staring at this book that I have what? right next to me. What happened the, in the episode? Oh, the one where they find the um the lad who was uh, abducted years ago. Oh, Future and Perfect? No, 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 no. no, no the lad was one. abducted years before? Yeah. No, he's... um. Oh, he's from another... He's... um. Oh, he was... I'll find the episode now and I'll give you the name. And you'll go, Suddenly oh, yeah, Bennett. 
Suddenly That's Human. That's the one. Yes. I, nearly, I love Sudden Human. It's an excellent episode. But we're not it picking actually that. is, we're and it never gets much love. But yes, you're right. Yeah. No, it's excellent. It's a, it's, a, it's a real kind of psychological episode. I should have actually picked it. Um, but I didn't, so I'm too late. Um, okay, so basically, brothers, there is an incident on the Enterprise. Um, there is a young lad, Willie Potts, who has been basically at something, and it's poisonous, and he's going to die, basically. So the Enterprise needs to get to Starbase. Unfortunately, Data goes mad, and he decides to commandeer the Enterprise without actually speaking and not actually kind of communicating with the crew as to what the hell is going on. And he just takes them off course, and he goes to a different planet. Um, this is the episode with the infamously long security code, which we recorded a few months back, and I got wrong, but I'm Direct, going to do it this do time. It? I Ew. can do it this time, right? Because I, I got the transition wrong at one point. That was my problem, right? So I'm going to do it, because I'm not going to lie to you. When I watched the episode today at my desk, I was there going, I'm going to get it right this time. And I went straight, right? So <clears throat> I'm going to get this right now. All, all, all sequences, right? Let's see. The... All right. One seven three four six seven three two one four seven six Charlie three two seven eight nine seven 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 six four three Tango seven three two Victor seven three one one seven eight 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 seven three two four seven six seven eight nine seven six four three seven six. I will God. confirm he did that with his eyes closed. I, Everyone, so, I will confirm that. Well done, nerds. The ultimate nerds can't beat that. Um, well, you can by just not doing it and being cooler than me immediately. Um. It's like, it's a brilliant episode from a point of view of Brent Spiner is just excellent in all three roles of Data, Lore, and Dr. Sung. Um, Data finds, a, basically goes onto the planet and Dr. Sung is there. Dr. Sung has basically you know, used a homing device to bring him, bring him there because he wants to give him an emotion chip. But unfortunately, unbeknownst to Sung, Lore has been reactivated, which was of course in the episode Data Lore, and Lore arrives as well. And Lore is not a happy individual. And he feels that Sung has, um, you know, basically abandoned him. And, you know, it turns out the lore is a filthy liar, which, of course, we kind of got that idea from data lore anyway. So basically, it turns out that the colonists um, were actually scared of lore. And as a result, that's why he was dismantled. So a second one was made, which is data without the emotions. Um, it's funny, like when you watch this episode, poor data has no luck with his family at all. Like mm -hmm. in... Data lore, he meets his brother, totally evil, and destroyed an entire colony by forging alliance with the crystalline entity. In The Offspring, he has his daughter, who dies. In this episode, Brothers, he meets his father, dies, killed by his own brother. And then in Descent, years later, his brother dies, does die, or just deactivated. And then in Inheritance, wasn't it? He meets his mother, and she is basically... A perfect android and she has to be you know never told what the truth actually is it's kind of there going yeah this is unfortunately poor data this is just no good from it all um the original this is actually written by rick berman would you believe that i couldn't actually believe I didn't that know that. the original episode didn't have lore in it so it's kind of there going oh. what so what apparently done with it Apparently, when the original script was handed to Michael Piller, he kind of said, yeah, I like most of it, but like when he gets to the planet, then it just turns into a discussion between Data and Sung, and that's all it was. Okay. And you're going, right, this really wouldn't work at all. Like, um, So, like, when you look at the episode, the whole central thing is basically Data, Sung, and Lore. That's all it is, and that's all it needs to be. Yeah. And, like, it does have the, the wonderful set piece of Data taking over the entire Enterprise. Like, now, in fairness, looking back at today, I'm kind of there going, 
it, it drags a certain part because it's kind of, you know, it's almost the same bits of information there. Let's try this data counteracts it. And they keep doing it until the whole scene when data decides I'm getting off the damn ship and I'm going to go down and transport myself off. And the whole sequence is brilliant. And like songs start to can do that. Like it's basically the whole dramatic sequence is data walking down the corridor, establishing force fields uh, where the security teams will get blocked off. And it's brilliant. And it's, it's really kind of well done. But the the scenes with Dr. Sung are brilliant because Sung obviously would ask data certain questions that would kind of, you know, be more thoughtful and kind of than anything else like. And just, he was asking, you know, data why starfleet why do this why do that with your life and things like that and he was talking about i think it was michelangelo and he said like that you know when he'd look at a block of you know granites or whatever he'd say that the figures were already inside there he just chipped away and things like that and he was just kind of you know asking data about things like why do humans have links to the past and i love that kind of philosophical discussion that takes place again it's like is it essential to the plot? No, but it kind of, it adds depth, especially to the character of Data and just trying to find it. Because like, we all love Data. We all love who he is and what he does and things like that. It's always nice to hear him, him describe why he does what he does. And I thought, so we talked about this recently. Um, Brent Spiner is just fantastic as Data. Yes. He's fine as Lore. I struggled with some. I have to really? say, I know, I know. And I, I've asked myself, is it because I just really like him as data and then don't like seeing him play another character, but I'm fine with lore for the most part. Uh, like, I think he's grand in this. I thought he was actually very, I think lore is probably best in data lore. Yeah. Um, Descent, which we'll get there. Um, I can, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. I don't dislike it, but uh, for me, it's sort of decreasing returns. But Sung and basically whenever, sorry, whenever Brent Spiner plays a human, it doesn't tend to go well. See, yeah, I, I, I can, I can get that. Like, see, for me, I loved him as Lore because he's just. I think when you know Lore is evil, it kind of enhances the performance because. You're looking at every scene and you know that when he's not being evil and he's trying to be genuine, he's actually being even more evil. So I really enjoy that. And I thought that his, I am like, again, we will disagree on this one. I thought his song was really good. I thought it was kind of like um, an old man who's kind of realized he's made mistakes and he is dealing with two people now that he considers his, his kids. And he's got a huge amount of kind of sadness for what happened with Lore. Although I think in deep down, he probably doesn't really want to care about him. He's just, he's kind of cut out because Laura is actually activated and things like that. But no, no, I, I take what you mean. Yeah, I can, uh, I can understand that. I think as well, no, this is the benefit of having all of Next Generation and I suppose now Picard as well under our belt. They killed Sung too early. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I have to say now, I like Star Trek Picard. Alton and Ego soon can go and swing. Yeah. That was nonsense. That was like, lads, he could have done a better way of bringing Brent Spiner back. You know, oh, it's his secret son that no one never knew about. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> that was nonsense. Um, like, but then when you had things like Arik Sung, no interest. Sorry, no interest. However, I didn't hate the idea. I just didn't like the story. I'm I'm dunking on the poor man. Um, I will say, but. <laughs> Noonie and Soong is far and away the most interesting of all of the Soongs. 
fired away. Yes, but we saw very little of him, and he was dead very fast. Exactly. And he just wanted—he just wanted to die as well. Like Riker's there. Here we get you up to the Enterprise. Like one hyperspray, and you're fine. No, I'm fine. I'm gonna die here, right? I'm dead, and that's it. Now please go away. Leave me go. It's a hangnail. Yeah. Like, hang on. If Picard was grand after that explosion in <laughs> Remembrance, then by God, soon would have been grand if he got up to the Enterprise. <laughs> Sean, that's my second choice. You've got about twenty-seven picks. So what's your next one? <laughs> Reunion. So this is why I nearly jumped down your throat there, sitting there like, no, the next episode after Legacy is Reunion. Sorry, 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 sorry. You were talking about a different episode altogether. Sorry. Uh, so yeah. So Reunion is the next chapter of the Duros Moog family saga. Yes. Um, it also sees the return of Kalar, the great Susie Plaxon. Um, it also sees the introduction of a character who will barely be ever mentioned again, least of all by Worf. Uh, which is Alexander, Worf's son. Um, I thought you were about to say Gowron for a second. <laughs> no, no, Gowron gets a shout every now and again. But Gowron gets far more of a shout than Alexander ever does. Arguably, so does Duros. Um, but yes, we, we get the return of Duros and the Duros and Gowron are both vying for chancellorship of the Klingon High Council. Kempek is dying. Yes. And Picard has been named the Arbiter of Succession. Which means that, sorry, John Luke, it's your problem. I'm dead soon, and it, it basically Kempek says that it's like I'm already dying. I've been poisoned. I'm screwed. Um, and as he said, poisoned. Is- and I, sorry, and I love the fact that Picard is disgusted about the implication of him being the arbiter of succession. He's kind of there going, "You cannot ask a Federation." Like, because I love the fact that you think the beer going, "Oh, it's a great honor." Well, thank you very much, it's Picard. No, absolutely not. Like, I have no right to, to this Dalek. And that's it, because, I mean, whatever way you... Like, yeah, Picard could do it in his civvies. He's still... He's, a, he's the captain of the Federation flagship. It sends a message. Kempek knew what he was doing. Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, and so, Kalar... So the kind of, it, the A plot and the B plot are pretty much the same plot in this episode. Yeah. But we kind of get two vaguely side-running storylines. One being Kalar's investigation into the Kittimer massacre. So that's yes. actually more of our A plot, although we probably see more of Gowron and Duros and their, you know, kind of, well, who's going to be the next to sit on the big chair? Yeah. Um, and so, yes, Charles Cooper dies quite early into the episode. And they use those pain sticks, which is always one of the returning pain sticks from Help Me Out. Which season two episode was it? It is, oh, The Icarus Factor. Thank you very much. Yes. Pulaski, I love how yeah. Duras uses his pain stick as well. Like he kind of puts in some and actually puts his hand on the top of it, like, and just kind of pushes it. He has no respect whatsoever for oh. anything to do with Klingon, you know, kind of law for Klingon culture, anything. He's just. A horrible individual. He is. Oh, he's a scumbag, and he's but he's a thug, and he's really played as a thug. He's quite like it's a great portrayal. And again, mm. actually, for the amount of discussion about Duros, a bit like Nooney and Sung, but it was far too early. It absolutely serves the plot. It needed to happen. But you're gonna oh, I, I always keep thinking Duros is in more episodes than he actually is. What did I say to you about the guy who played Duras recently? He directed something or wrote something. He say, did I say said- that. You did. I text you. What? I'm going to have to ask you to do a check on that now while we're chatting. But you're dead right. You did say 
something recently. People are listening to this screaming because I, I believe that people are screaming at this on a bus. Some poor bus driver has been terrified <laughs> by this. As someone goes, House of Duros. You get the one person on the train going, House of Gowron. There's um, a great scene as well when Picard, when um, uh, Gowron and, du- and Duras are inside the observation lounge on the Enterprise. And uh, the way, what's his face? Gow- or Duras says something. And the way Gowron is kind of sitting in his chair facing one way and he kind of says, you will die slowly or painfully. It's just the way he just moves the chair over and just moves his head and it's his eyes. The eyes of Robert O'Reilly looking out are absolutely, he's just so menacing and he's so intimidating. It's brilliant. Like it's, it's one of those wonderful things that you have somebody who's terrifying and they're doing nothing. And that's, yeah. that's, that's better than somebody freaking out, roaring, shouting all that. It's his cam that's actually more terrifying than anything. Like, like Gowron will kill you. No hassle whatsoever there. And, and exactly. But, but whereas Gowron will kill you, Duros will threaten you. Yeah. Now, he'll still put then Duros will beam aboard his heavily armed warship and go after you. Whereas Gowron will go after you with a knife. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there is a failed assassination attempt, uh, which actually tips you know, it basically tells people who is responsible. Yeah. And it was so shocking absolutely nobody. Duros tried to organize an explosion that would have killed Gowron and potentially Picard, but thankfully they were just out of the way, using a device that has been developed by the Romulans. It mm. was a subdermal explosive. So not only does it give away who was responsible, it also says, oh, connect to the Romulans. Hmm, that reminds me of something from Sins of the Father. And um, but isn't it so funny that like that the Klingon Empire is so like the Kim Peck knows it's Duras who's basically poisoned them like and like they're still just going now nah, we have to still go through this whole ritual like if Duras is successful he will lead the Empire even though he's a traitor his family is a traitor he'll destroy the whole Empire but we're so tied to our honor we can't see past it like yeah. and like and he, you know, he's what sir. Cam, I, I think I'm not inventing this. Doesn't Picard basically say, what does this mean for the Alliance of the Federation? And Kempek goes, you're prob, bro. Basically, yes. Ah, it's like, yeah, very honorable. Again, the words of Esri Dax are just running through my mind. You know, it's like, <laughs> where is the honor? When you yeah. look at it as well, we, we've often made jokes about how ineffective Worf is and things like that. And how basically, you know, he's, he, he either gets, you know, put down, you know, dismissed or whatever it is. But after Kaler is dead, you're kind of there going, I just want the man to get retribution on the person who did this. Right. And you're kind of thinking in a way that the show will punk out in it and basically, you know, Worf will beat up Duras and then he'll go off and he'll cower and he'll go, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm a coward and all this kind of thing. And I expect they had the courage just to say, no, do you know what? Worf is going to kill him because that's his culture and he's going to do it and it's going to be great. And it is great and it's really good. And I, it's really cool. Just he's about to swing the death blow to kill Duras, Riker and Data walk in the door and War- Riker's basically roaring Worf not to do it as Worf is made swing. Still one of the best uses of a botless in Star Trek, um, just because the pleasure to watch the light in Duras's eyes go out. But we, can, we have Michael Pillar to thank for that. Because they knew, well, they knew that they knew Duros had to die in this episode. So to advance yeah. the storyline, Duros had to die. But they had to go, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And basically, there was that evil grin. Think of the Grinch on that grin. He's like, Kalar needs to bite the dust. 
that it's the only thing that would actually provoke Worf sufficiently that, yes. you know, he's like, no, no, it doesn't matter. Like, you're not going to talk your way out of this one, Duros. And so there actually, I was reading on Memory Alpha there. It's like, there was like, we love Susie Plax and it's not personal, but sorry, Kalar had to go. And so she does. And now, thankfully, it's done off screen, but you kind of have this. And again, maybe there's the hindsight of, well, we know where this is going. But you ever catch yourself watching this going, just stop talking to him. Keep asking the questions, but like, you know, kind of like, Kalar to security instead of, Duros, you're a bastard. You know, these, these are things that could have been said. But yeah, so she's basically like, I know the truth of what happened. And he goes, uh, really? And uh, yes, then we cut out of the room. And then Worf and Alexander are skipping merrily down the corridors of the Enterprise-D, as Worf is wont to do, and skips into Kalar's quarters. And like, huh, well, there wasn't a crap ton of blood all over the place when I left. <laughs> and there is a, it's a very, I mean, obviously, Kalar's been murdered. It's a dark scene. She's alive just long enough to put their hands in each other. It's a very symbolic uh, thing. And Worf goes to Alexander, who is a baby. Yeah. Obviously, time also means nothing in the next generation. Like, they had a baby one year previously. Uh, maybe two. But still, this is clearly a five-year-old child. Yeah. Um, and he's like, look and remember. Um, and then 20 minutes after the nick of time, Crusher gets there. And, you know, obviously there's nothing that can be done. And Worf is already like, I'll be back. I love, yeah, I love the fact that Worf just walks out. He's just there. Yeah, forget this. I'm out here. I'm just going to go and kill this guy. What's really, what's always hilarious in these situations is when Doris decides, I'm going to kill KNR for this. And he's there going, hmm, there's a security guard outside the door. He's there to his attache. Listen, you walk out the door and you go right. And I just go left. <laughs> he just walks out the door career. Excuse me, Sarah, where do you think you're going? And Doris just, just here. <laughs> just Somewhere in the background are really <clears throat> the sounds of a changeling judging security aboard the Enterprise. But could you imagine, like, like Doris walks out the corridor, like, on the Enterprise, which is over a thousand people, someone might see, hey, that's Doris walking out the corridor. Pretty yeah. sure he's not supposed to be on his own. Like, oh, not at hey, why, all. Why is he going into Kalar's quarters? What's going on here? <laughs> it's just, it's oh. almost ridiculous. Like, oh. It's nonsense. a great, in fairness, it, it's a brilliant episode. There's just, it's everything about it, the, you know, the seeing the Vorta uh, class cruiser. I think it's for the first time we see it. Yeah, um, oh just, my god, I love that ship so much. There's so much going on. It's it's brilliant. It's it's just absolutely I love the fact at the end as well, then like just basic Picard gives Worf a reprimand first. Like I like that there is a bit of you know that he has you know, I think for disobeying a direct order and all that kind of thing. But again, the fact that it just stands that he murdered Doras and that's it. I was kind of there going, Thank God, like it's you have to leave Worf do something Klingon related and just leave him do it in peace as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do, you're right, I, I like that there, it's, there's only so much he can do because, as I say, he, as Worf says, I acted within the bounds of Klingon law. And Picard is like, yeah, but like, you're serving on a Federation starship. Do you see the position this puts us in? <laughs> um, but next week, we're off somewhere else, so it's all fine. Don't worry about Klingon relations are fine. Anyway, we're off, right? Yeah. Next week, join us next week when the Enterprise is going to go off somewhere else and do something else. Klingons are fine, don't worry about that. You know, we broke several Starfleet protocols. I probably smashed the Prime Directive by being the bloody Klingon arbiter of the session. But off on another adventure. Bye! <laughs> Like, can you imagine the Duras family at home going, oh, hang on a second here now. 
Federation officer murdered our murdered you know, Duras. And no one's gonna do anything about it. No, we're not gonna worry about this. No, no, not have like no. a conversation about this. It's like, no, no, okay, no, no, we're good, we're good, we're good. <laughs> it's just ludicrous. Now, Joseph, what is your next pick? Uh, the next pick is one of my favorite episodes. I think everyone, one of everyone's favorite episodes is our good old-fashioned Data's Day. Ah, oh, this is a great episode. It's such a lovely, like it's it's got a B story that just doesn't need to be anywhere at all near it. Like it's yeah. absolutely fine as it is. Like, um, effectively in a nutshell, this is just a log of Data's Day. So the episode starts with Data recording um a letter to Bruce Maddox, who we last saw in Measure of a Man. Now at this point, obviously Data and Bruce Maddox have in a good working relationship, and I like the fact that it kind of the log kind of picks up as if you know this is in the middle of a good lot of correspondence between the two. Because look, obviously, as we know, Bruce Maddox is a prick. And but it's nice to see, you know, because Data doesn't hold grudges, so it's nice to see that he's aiding him in his work now. And it's kind of, you know, it's cool because this is it's he's you know, explaining kind of like a day in the life. Like I, in fairness, you'd love to see, like I know it's gonna sound stupid. I'd love to see just the mundaneity of a normal day on the enterprise. That's why one of the reasons I don't like I'm not mad about the B plot, because I'm kind of there going. I am happy just seeing what life on the Enterprise is like for a day. I'm very happy to see that. Like the, the episode starts even with um, Data uh, being on night watch and being relieved mm. by Riker for day watch. And that's one of the things that Gene Roddenberry had that in the nighttime, the ship's lights would be dimmed to give the effect of night and daytime on the ship and i thought that was so cool because it's, it's only something small but it makes a hell of a lot of sense like because obviously if you yeah. light on the whole bloody time people would know the kind of difference and i love then that like you get a lot of information just on stupid things like data kind of says to Riker, you know like Lou, lieutenant juarez has gone into labor and he says about all these other things and he's continuing the log he says this is the 1550th day of the ship being in service he says today is the hindu festival of light I think which puts it in October. Um, he says there's been a few personal transfers and a few birthdays as well. And I said, oh my God, this is so cool. Like it's so, it's so bland. And I was there going, but that's what normal life would actually be like. Cause you know, not every day you're going to have a, a, a Borg scare and things like that. And Data is acting as father of the bride as well for the marriage of Keiko O'Brien in her first ever appearance. Yay. And Miles Edward O'Brien, who finally gets a first name. So they were talking about, in the background to the story, they were saying they wanted to do two things. One, a day in the life on the Enterprise, and two, a marriage. So they decided they were going to blend both stories and make one. And the... Um, the idea, like they couldn't figure out who to marry. They were going to, so at one point it was Picard, but they were there going, look, we can't marry one of the regulars off. So they all loved Chief O'Brien and they said, we're going to do, you know, do it with his character. <laughs> Just at the start of the episode, Keiko gets cold feet, doesn't want to get married to uh, uh, Chief O'Brien. Like dating his complete misunderstanding of human emotions. Oh, I <laughs> he goes down to O'Brien. Keiko has made a decision that is going to maximize her happiness. Chief O'Brien's there. Oh yeah, what's that? And they're going. She decided not to go ahead with the with the wedding. What? <laughs> 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 it's so bloody good. Like, like the episode is excellent from a point of view of like he interacts with everybody at some point in the episode, and it's just lovely to see his um connection to all of them it kind of reminds me of i you probably never heard it there was a bbc uh broadcast years ago of 
it was it was of Batman, right? But it wasn't actually a Batman story. It was basically just uh, how Batman interacts with everybody in Gotham City and things like that. Like, and that's kind of you know what this episode is. It's just data interacting with everyone. Like, I love when he when he's talking about you know Riker. Riker is all kind of you know jovial, sitting around having a bit of laugh, telling stories and all this kind of thing. Like, it just it, it, what's cool about it is you don't actually hear Riker's story. You just see everybody else hanging on his every word. And it's really kind of cool. Like he catches up with Worf then inside in the large replicator room and he's trying to you know, <laughs> talk to Worf about the wedding. And Worf is there going, human weddings have a lot of crying and dancing. Mm. And it's just pure, where's the murder here? Like, like, can we just kill someone, please? That's what I'm kind of all on board for. Like, And which... <laughs> When he catches up with Jordy, then Jordy's in getting a haircut. Again, what a mundane thing to do. Like, a, you know, the barbershop on the Enterprise. It's so bloody good. I love it. And um, when he goes in to see Jordy, then he's there going, I've been experimenting with, you know, friendly jibes and insults. <laughs> he calls Jordy a lunkhead. <laughs> Jordy's there going, what the hell are you calling me? He says, oh, I'm just doing something new. And then Jordy's there, yeah, don't do that with Captain, yeah? Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, then of course he catches up with the dancing doctor as well, Beverly Crusher, because he misunderstands what the instruction to dance is. So now, in fairness, I think that's a bit of a cop out. In fairness, because like Data clearly with his you know, eight hundred billion calculations a second would probably be able to go. All right, that kind of dancing, yeah, no hassle. Like, and of course, Gates McFadden is a choreographer, and she, Indeed, she is. Yes, for the Jim Henson company, so she choreographed the whole the dance and all that kind of thing. Apparently, as well, they ad lib not ad lib. They agreed the dialogue themselves between themselves. Uh, Gates McFadden and Brent Spiner did like, and then you know was brought to the writers, and they said, "Yeah, we'll go with that as well." And it's just so funny the way Data kind of he doesn't really get the instructions and things like that. And when he's actually trying to do proper dancing, then he can't do it because he can't see where her feet are. And then Dr. Crush is there going, yeah, just look up. I said, but you've got the smile as well. And you just see this incredibly, you know, almost psychotic smile on Brent Spiner's face. Kind of goes back to the point you said, when he's not data, when it's something else, it's kind of quite, uh, kind of, you know, weird and scary. It, 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 a little bit. We, you know, we like him, but that smile, I think I am still having sleep paralysis demons about that <laughs> smile on data's face to this day. The B plot then is there's a Vulcan ambassador on the Enterprise and she's going to be opening negotiations with the Romulans, but it turns out it's all a ploy. She's actually been a Romulan sleeper agent for absolutely decades and there's a transport malfunction when she's going up to Romulan ship and she's dead. And it turns out she's not dead. Romulans have planted the evidence trying to you know, basically bring her sister home and all this, but the Enterprise tried to catch up with them, but it turns out there's about 800 million warbirds waiting for them, so they have to kind of you know just back off and kind of leave uh, leave it all be and things like that but look who the hell cares there was there was no point in the second part of the story whatsoever there's um when Rowan Riker meets uh the Vulcan ambassador inside in Picard's red room and she says um basically leave us to Riker and Data I love when they get outside the door Riker kind of goes to Data you know charming woman like pure like absolutely sarcasm <laughs> Data's log is continuing and it goes I don't believe that Commander Riker is sincere in his statement that she is a charming lady. (laughs) Going, yes, that is absolutely right. My favorite moment of the episode, and I'd actually totally forgotten about it. And again, we've often discussed about wonderful scenes in Star Trek that don't need to be there, but they are there and they're bloody brilliant. Is at the end of the episode, 
after the wedding has taken place, data goes into um, into kind of the uh, maternity section. And Juarez's child, who was mentioned at the start of the episode, because Lieutenant Juarez went into labor. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the episode, now the baby's born. And Picard is in there on his own. He's looking at the child. Because obviously, this is a bit of a departure, because we know Picard has issues with children on the Enterprise, as we saw in Encounter at Farpoint and the bonding. And Picard is there, and Data starts talking loud. Picard says, Data, to be quiet. And then he says, Picard says, brilliant. And he just faces, as we were facing destruction, you know, this little miracle was happening. And it didn't need to be there. It did not need to be there at all. And it's there and it's absolutely wonderful. It is. It's lovely. It's a nice episode. Yes, there's there's actually some stakes. Uh, but no, it's just a nice episode. Everyone comes out more or less smiling by the end of it. Picard's poor pride takes a bit of a dent, but it's not his fault. Uh, mm-hmm. with the uh with the Romulans. And I thought it was uh, does he say something like, you know, basically you win some, you lose some. Because of course the last time they went across the neutral zone, they had the Klingons to back them up. No, Riker's line, and it's brilliant. Some days you get the bear, other days the bear gets you. And just kind of there going, that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, what's but, going on there with that line? <laughs> oh, I love it. And then, yes, yeah, choreography by Cheryl McFadden. Actually, when I was looking at the end credits, it actually says at the very end credits, choreographer Gates McFadden. Oh, no way. I, I, because. Yeah. I think the age of Netflix that we live in, the second it goes to, you know, next episode. It's, and funny thing is, it was only just a quick glance and I saw it as there, oh, look at that now. Now, Sean, that is my third choice. What is your next choice? My next choice is the very next episode. In fact, it's The Wounded. Um, Oh, yes. The Wounded is, for me, one of the standout episodes of season four because it's one of the first times that I can think of I uh, know the okay, the original series in fairness did did touch on this that depicts PTSD. Yes. Um now I know it'll be uh, a show's of favorite because we deal with another Federation starship. Uh, oh yes, USS Phoenix. Mm. The introduction of the Nebula class to mm-hmm. uh to Canon. Um slightly different in that it has an oval uh pod, sensor pod rather than the more familiar now triangular sensor pod. Uh, but that's really Jeez. the only main difference. I always love that model of ship. It just looked so bloody cool. Mm. I think now I don't know if you can see it. I have one sitting behind me there on a shelf. Now it's the triangular, yeah. but yes, we, we like the Nebula class, but yes. So Captain <laughs> Benjamin Maxwell uh, conducts his own one ship war against the brand spanking new bodies, which are the Cardassians, uh, featuring not a brand spanking new actor. He had been in The Next Generation before, but Marco Limo makes his first appearance as a Cardassian, not the Cardassian we would all come to know him as. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is no Golivek. No, not Golivek. No. Why is it Golmaset? What am I talking Golmaset. about? There's just so many goals. Yeah. Uh, Golmaset with the fantastic facial hair hmm. and those headpieces, which we all know and love from every episode featuring the Cardassians. Yeah. Basically, you can tell from this when they were throwing some stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Yes. Uh, um. So we now find out that there was a war between the Federation and the Cardassian Union that has only recently finished. A veteran of that war is Miles O'Brien. And another veteran of that war is Benjamin Maxwell, who is the captain of the USS Phoenix. Now, the cold open is the Cardassian Galore class warship comes flying in to start firing at the Enterprise. And it's like, "Uh oh, this isn't good now. In this episode, I think more than any other, you get the impression that no, the Galaxy class is far more advanced. 
you know, it's galore class. It's basically like a really annoying bug hmm. that's uh, annoying them. But so Picard being Picard, he kind of goes, rings them up and says, dude, what? Um, and you have at least Golmoset can see the situation for what it is. He's like, maybe docking would work out better for us here. And so he doesn't, so he beams aboard. And it turns out that, yes, the Federation has been launched unprovoked attacks against the Cardassian Union, to which Picard says, no, we haven't. To which Massette says, would you like to see the footage? To which Picard goes, oh. And yes, so Captain Maxwell has taken his ship behind, as he perceives, enemy lines to start attacking because he believes the Cardassians are rearming for war. This is a theme we will revisit in Star Trek. Rather a lot. But there are so many parts of this episode that stands out for such amazing reasons. But although he had had some great scenes in Star Trek before this, this is Colomini's first best episode of Star Trek. Mm. Um, Obviously, he gets far more to do on DS9. Delighted. But here we get a slice of home life. Himself and Keiko are having dinner together in the in their kind of opening scenes. He served with Maxwell on Setlick 3, which is forever rem- remembered as the massacre on Setlick 3. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, while Maxwell played by the great, uh, sorry, Bob Gunton uh, of Shawshank Redemption fame. Obviously, we covered Shawshank Redemption on your own crack, mate. Um, He's just fantastic because he's so likable. He's so affable. Even when the Enterprise catches up with the Phoenix and he beams aboard and he's so, hi, uh, Will Riker, great job against the Borg. We all owe you our lives and everything. And he's just so affable. And Riker's like, hi, yeah, I'm just bringing you to get an absolute bollocking off my captain. Okay, let's go. Um, And then that scene of, you know, like this is another captain. This guy is the same rank as Picard. And Picard just rips into him and he just tears him a new one completely. Like, the funny thing is with this, like, as you know, I love other Starfleet crews and all that. Like, I think it would have benefited from seeing anyone else in his crew because I agree. I do agree. It feels like a one man ship and you're kind of there going, like, he would have needed the support of his entire command structure. And basically, like, if you were on that ship and you were just, you know, it's like a day to day thing, you're celebrating your birthday, going, this is great. Wait a second, that's a Cardassian ship out there. What the hell? Wait, why are we firing on it? Wait a second, we've killed those Cardassians. Yeah. What's going on here now exactly? Oh, do you know what it'd be? Ga- I'm just thinking of that scene from the Undiscovered Country where they're all on the bridge and the next thing is you see the, the torpedo, torpedo. fire straight. Um, and what just happened? We appear to have fired on the Chancellor's ship and everyone jumps to action. Please confirm, please confirm. Did we fire? Confirmed, direct hit, you know. Or was this a crew-wide conspiracy, in which case all of them are losing their commissions the second they get back to Federation space? I love, and I love when Picard says to Benjamin Maxwell, he bas- you know, I, I love the way he basically says, your ship will be towed home in disgrace. And it's, there's just something about the way Patrick Stewart says certain words, but when he says that, it just sounds like the most, Christ almighty, that would be the most humiliating thing to ever happen to me. It's just a million people could say that line but no one can make it feel as demoralizing and humiliating mm. as Patrick Stewart does in that situation. It's a brilliant scene between the two of them. It is. It is. Because one can't pull rank on the other. Yes. And it, and it doesn't happen very often. Like you might have your mad admiral story 
And there's yes. lots of good ones. And, you know, and obviously you can't pull rank on them. Um, but when you have two captains, one who, look, we as the audience, we know we side with Picard. Of course yes. we do. Um, but, but then you get, it's incredibly clever writing. You cut that in with O'Brien, who is the nice guy. He's the everyman. He's wonderful. And his discomfort in the turbo lift with those two Cardassians. Yes. And then later on again in the bar, when he can't quite bring himself to make friendly with the Cardassian, yeah. he sort of he does sort of apologize, but he says, I don't hate you for what you are. I hate you for what you made me become. Yes, exactly. And then like it, it and it's a great way to kind of sum up war in, in 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 its own way because you might hate an individual or even the race you might hate what they made you what what basically they turned you into and the thing is with, with the great thing with chief o'brien we see it in ds9 says he holds on to a lot of that and he doesn't deal with it at all like and you see it yeah. here like it dominates how he views the cardassians and how he also views himself like and it's kind of like because and this is where you can tell now i think gene was still alive at this point but they didn't have an awful lot of time left and this is where we start to get now maybe best of both worlds would be a better example of you know the darker side of the 24th century yes. but this is where you start to see that no starfleet officers and humans feel this too you know like when you have maxwell takes a federation starship and starts a one-man war that is completely against you know what Roddenberry would have taught in TOS, but then you but, have O'Brien, who is, yeah. if not a main character, then we know him well enough that he turns around and says, "I hate Cardassians because of this reason." Now, as you say, he explains it that it's I hate the, the what they've made me become, hmm. but it's you've just had somebody say, "I hate an entire race." Now X Y Z. But, yeah, yeah. And I, I think as well, like what you said, like because like when you think of it, we've only really known the Klingons and the Romulans and to a lesser degree the Ferengi and the Borg, obviously, and all that. And then suddenly you introduce this new race, but it's not just introducing them, it's also saying that like within the last couple of decades, there has been war with these people. And like we've yeah. never really seen because like with the Romulans, we know that the Romulans have disappeared for 70 years. There's been no sign of them. With the Ferengi, they're new enough. With the Klingons, we know what's going on there. But this is the like I remember watching this and I was really kind of surprised because I was there going, Jesus, there was no reference to this. Like, what's this about the Federation being involved in war with these other people and all that? And like again, instead of just shying away from it, they do show like this episode is all about the gritty side of it and kind of they're going like there's a lot of fresh wounds still there, yeah, uh, because of the war. And this episode takes it, you know, full on about it as well. Like the ending is absolutely again as we've it's often discussed, phenomenal, isn't it? Absolutely and phenomenal. It, and it's one by words, not, you know, not phasers, not torpedoes. It's one by words. And it's Maxwell coming to the understanding that he's just not going to win. Yeah. Like it's, and it's done. It's funny enough. Now, I know we talked about this before. Um, I know you're not a fan of the clip show at the end of what, what you leave behind, <laughs> but it's the music <laughs> from this is used over that. It's yeah. the song, The Minstrel Boy. Mm. And it's powerful. It is a powerful scene. It is two non-regular characters. One is brand new. One is not a regular. Yeah. 
And it's again, it's one of the few scenes where the entire crux of the episode hangs on not one of the main cast. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually, done so well. That's actually a really good point. I didn't even consider that. And what's great is, is that when they start singing it, it's almost like they transport themselves into the past and they're surrounded by all these people. And I love when they stop singing, there is this silence for a second. Like O'Brien knows what he's there to do and he knows what he's hoping for. But it's yeah. Maxwell, and the acting is brilliant. He just comes to the realization those few seconds, but he's brought back to reality. Is they're going, they're all gone, like, and they're not coming back. And nothing I do here is going to change that. And all like, there's nothing more I can do here because the enterprise is going to stop me anyway. Yeah, like, I think it's. I can't remember if it's said on screen, but I do remember that it was addressed. That no, they've basically Starfleet has changed their operating manuals that you can't just use the operating code anymore. Uh, Previous code is gone, yeah. Yeah, because otherwise this episode would have been over in two minutes. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is just that moment of... And there is the, the question of... Maxwell does, for the most part, he believes what he's doing is just. Mm, correct. And, and it's yes. put to him as... This is just a revenge strike. It's not a revenge. It's not why I'm doing this. This is clearly why you are doing this. And yes. that's a problem. I mean, for obviously many reasons, but your revenge tour could place two superpowers in a new war. And that's what you're not seeing. Yeah. He's saying, no, I'm protecting the Federation. I'm saving the Federation. And, and you get a kind of a, although Kirk would never have done this, you get a kind of a Kirk Picard type standoff because Maxwell is the frontiersman. Yes. He's out in the, as he said, he's kind of out on the edge, you know, and you're this stuffy office in here, Picard. You're, you know, used to being near the inner rim and you don't and the, know what it's like out here. The funny thing is then is like, you know, at the very end of the episode when, you know, after Maxwell is gone and Picard says about him, like, you know, he's basically gone in disgrace, like, you know, and we'll, we'll pity him, but we won't dismiss him. Like, and then yeah. Picard says, you know, like, he wasn't wrong, though. Like, he was there going, like, science ship running with these, you know, high-intensity scramblers and all this kind of thing. And then he says, you know, take this message back to your leaders, you know, we'll be watching. And I often feel, look, I love Picard, you know that. And I love the speeches Picard gives, you know that. But there was just something about this one. And I was kind of there going... I don't know. I've always felt conflicted that he is the one to say it. Like, like I'd love it was Maxwell is the one to say it or something like that. Because I was just kind of there going, it almost almost like it almost feels like Picard is just swooped in at the end to grab the wave the victory. Again, it's just it's just the way because like the whole episode is Picard going, we gotta stop Ben Maxwell and all this. And then the very end is there going, he's totally right though. And you know he's totally right. But the way he's gone about it is wrong. I know what you yeah. mean. I feel I feel your conflict, like because the episode paints Picard against Maxwell for its entire yes. running time, it is yeah. a bit of an about face. Yes, so, it is. Yeah. What if O'Brien had said that he's in theory, just some punk officer speaking up. Correct. Yeah, so exactly. It's, yeah. It's a kind of rock and a hard place. It's a great ending, but yeah. I hear, I hear your hesitation there, but yeah. let us hesitate no longer. Joseph, what is your next episode? The next episode that we're going to pick is going to be, look, in fairness, I don't think we're ever going to go through a season and not discuss an episode that involves Q because nah. we just have to pick Q and it has to be Cupid. Yay! Uh, what a wonderful, 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 hilarious. It's brilliant. It's, it's such a good episode. It's absolutely excellent. Um, 
Again, totally nonsense plot. The Enterprise is hosting an archaeological conference. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares, right? It's yeah, just exactly. Not, just and MacGuffin totally. is appearing on board the Enterprise. So basically, one of the council members is Vash, who we all remember from Captain's Holiday. Mm-hmm. And she is, of course, there. But as usual, she is not there to attend the conference. She's actually there to go to Tagus Tree and try and steal some of the artifacts. But the Tagans are very specific about that, and they don't want to be letting anybody onto the planet for pain of death. But of course, out of nowhere, Q appears, and Q wants to do something nice for Captain Picard because after their last encounter in Deja Q and Q lost his powers. <laughs> Q owes Picard a favor, and Q is not a man for liking owing anyone a favor. So he's trying to figure out what he's going to give Picard. Sorry. Riker's line in that is just so good. <laughs> Picard, he wants to do something nice for me. I don't like the crew. <laughs> it's so bloody funny. And the thing is, I was reading about it as well. John Delancey said that um, he kind of. After Deja Q, he felt that Q had become a comedic and he wanted him to kind of go back to the um, bit more menacing, threatening Q of the earlier seasons. So that's why, and I like a lot of this in terms of Q, Strayer kind of says, I have nothing to do with this. This is, you know, this this thing is a mind of its own now and it's going to do its own kind of thing. Um, so we see, Picard, like, it's brilliant from a point of view of, we see Picard with a love interest who is totally polar opposite to him. Like, she, mm. what was this Ned Flanders would say? She's, um, oh, what's the flipping phrase Ned Flanders have? She's more, she's more peppermint or something like that than your own mother. He used that to describe someone. And that's basically what it's like. Like, you'd look at Vash and you're going, what in the name of God? There's no connection between these two people whatsoever. Like, and I just love how uncomfortable Picard is. Like, it's clearly when he's around Vash, when he's communicating with Vash, He's, you know, they get on brilliantly together, but it's such a departure from what we're used to. Like when you mm-hmm. see, like the, like after Picard and Vash meet up, and the following morning Beverly calls over for breakfast, and just how awkward Picard is, and he's there going, um, um this is um, Doctor Beverly, uh, do- no, it's Doctor Crusher, Beverly, Doctor Beverly Crusher, and all this kind of thing, and he can't even speak right. <laughs> it's so bloody awkward. And then, like, I think she says, "Oh, did you meet on your trip to Rise?" And he's there, uh, no. And he's there, uh, actually, yes. And he just doesn't know how to act. And then Vash starts to find out that, like, Picard has told absolutely nobody that he um, that he exists. Um, I love it when t- 10 forward when Vash is looking out the window. And Riker, of course, the charming man, comes over and says, you know, he gives her a line. And then she goes, oh, you're about to say the next line. And Riker's there going, um, what's going on here? And then she goes, John Luke does a really good impression of you. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I'd love to see that. Because... That is hilarious. But also, like, it was a pretty bad come online, Riker, I have to say. It's awful, yeah. Like, but, but, you know, Riker, like, Riker keep trying. Like, he just, he won't be stopped. Like, he's, Riker is he's like the Borg. Resistance is futile. Look, at the end of the day, we, we saw it in um, the bonding last week, like when they were speaking about Marla Astra. <laughs> Just... Yeah, report for your physical means something very different on the Enterprise D. We, we, we spent some time together a year ago. Like, you didn't even call a Riker. Like, the ship is small enough, like, and you're probably going to be in some staff meetings together at some point. Um, like, <laughs> like Worf's line of nice legs as well, talking about fascist as well. <laughs> Jesus, nice legs. They're all staring at him. Very human. <laughs> it's so <laughs> awkward. But I love as well then, like, because, you know, Picard is, 
like Picard is right in a way and he's kind of there going like I don't have to discuss my personal life with people I work with like I can keep them separate yep. and I like in 10 forward she tries to kind of you know challenge him on it and he's kind of there going like um, he's basically there going I'm sorry if you got the wrong impression kind of thing like like it's terrible but I kind of get his side of it too like and Q sees uh, you know that they're arguing so he decides that he is going to give Picard an adventure to see basically how he feels and to sort out this love problem that he has. So Q decides to transport the crew to Sherwood Forest, where Picard <laughs> becomes Robin Hood, Vash becomes Maid Marion, and Q becomes that sort of guy. Uh, or, no, not sort of guy. He becomes the sheriff, doesn't he? Sheriff of Nottingham. Sheriff of Nottingham. That's it. And um, so basically, Q kind of says, "Right, look, this is like." I've created this, but I've given it its own imagination and its own decisions to do what it wants. I have no part in this whatsoever. Like, there are some brilliant lines in this, like, Worf's immediate, like, I, sir, I protest, I am not a merry man. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely, it's just off this chart, it's brilliant, it's so good. And the Animal House reference as well, which you didn't get because you never saw Animal House, which is absolutely outrageous. Um, Jordy is playing. <laughs> the that's loot. Great, that's great. He's playing the loot badly, and then Worf just walks over, <laughs> takes it off him, and smashes it against a tree and gives it back to him and apologizes. I think it was an Irish Stephen Bear, I think, said about it. And he kind of said he, he never felt that Jordy was kind of, he always felt Jordy was an underused character. <laughs> he said about Worf, like Worf was a Klingon. And he's kind of there going, Worf would be the kind of person to go to bed at night and probably think, could they not just let me kill Jordy? <laughs> 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 like it's it's just so imaginative and it's so swashbuckling and all that kind of thing and um you know in the end as as with all robin hood kind of stories like you know the, the attempt to storm the castle and you know rescue the maid kind of happens and things like that it was actually interesting you said last week i can't remember what episode it was but you said that the hd remaster has done nothing for the stunt doubles gotcha yeah it is terrible in this episode like and I was watching it. I was there. Oh my god! I said that guy is actually about a foot taller than Patrick Stewart. And I was <laughs> like, that doesn't look. Like, oh dear. Ro- yes, it doesn't look remotely like him at all. And I read this as well, and I was a bit kind of, I was a bit kind of disappointed in this as well. That apparently, out of the entire cast, the only people who had fencing experience, yes, Gates uh, McFadden and Marina Sirtis, and all they got to do was crack um, vases onto guys' heads, and you're going, come on. The director, I think, the director, I think, came out and basically said, but it was the 12th century, like, I can't change history. And they're going, buddy, like, there are people from the 24th century here. Like, you you can do whatever the hell you want. Like, we're not beholden here. Like, yeah, no, like, just no. It's the short answer to that one. It's just nonsense. Like, and, but like, and also, I'm just thinking from a logistical point of view, they're already um, trained. We not just do it. No. Okay. No. Sorry. How dare I suggest such a thing? No, how dare you? Who in the hell do you think you are with that kind right. of uh, suggestion? No, it's like it's 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 a great episode. It's just it's total just nonsense, and it's it's so fabulous because and like like love that they just all completely buy into it, and they're all just on board for it as well. Like and um, like the ending is great in terms of like you know as usual with Star Trek, it's kind of like Picard is Robin Hood kind of basically says I'm going to yo you all stay here, I'm going to do this myself kind of thing, and. Riker, or sorry, Q says to Picard at the end, he kind of says, like, do you, do you see how vulnerable this makes you? Like, you know, you weren't just willing to risk yourself. You were willing to risk everybody for this kind of thing. 
And um, you know, then Vash says, you know, this actually shows how strong of a person he is, how brilliant and magnificent he is, and all that. Because again, like Q doesn't really understand any of this at all. Like so, it's 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 brilliant. Uh, it's 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 a really fun episode. Which of course we can follow up with in Qless in DS9. Then a couple of years later, <laughs> I, mean, I haven't yes, watched that right. in many years, and I don't know if I want to see that one again. Do you know what it is? It's just boring. Which I think oh, is really? the worst thing you can say about it. It's 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 not just it gets an awful lot of stick for oh it doesn't work and it's just this and it, and it doesn't work because it was they were doing too much too soon with <laughs> DS Nine I think um, yeah th- but I and, think as well it's like it, it's one of those things isn't it that like if a show is struggling to start it's kind of right let's bring in something from the previous shows or something like that to make sure that you know we, and like there's there's nothing worse than when things like that happen because you're going buddy we don't need this in any shape or form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sean, your your memories of Cupid. What do you got? I I just remember it being silly and fun. That's yeah. that that and that's all it. That's all the episode really sets out to do, isn't it? Um, it's it's exactly what it sets out to be. Um, Picard has a great one liner as well when he's fighting the you know the the cheapers the sir guy of gisborne and he says there's something you should know about me <laughs> he says what would that be says, i'm not from nottingham <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know you're supposed to be french like and you've got the most english accent there ever could be like i, I do love as well when picard is about to fight sir guy of gisborne i do love there's a flash of a smile across picard's face and say Oh man, this is great crack. I'm really enjoying this because I'm going to take this guy to school because I'm a bloody good fencer. It's excellent. It's it's just such a bloody wonderful episode. Um, I am doing a very potentially silly thing, trying to find out just how far away Nottingham and Yorkshire are for each other because Patrick Stewart is from Yorkshire. Just wondering if that was a gag in his... No, it looks like they are nowhere near each other. Show, stop <laughs> coming up with these random nonsense ideas. <laughs> nonsense, I tell you. Um, Sean, question for you before we finish up tonight's podcast. Favorite thing, anything from season four of The Next Generation? What was it? It is from an episode that we didn't discuss. Yes. Um, and funnily enough, it's actually the last second of Redemption Part One, which I will discuss on a future podcast. Would you? We have to tell us what it is, like. Humans have a way of turning up when you least expect them. Oh, yes, yes, yes. There yes, we go. Yes, yeah, and I don't, just, just on the smart. off chance nobody has seen it, which would smart. be hard to believe with people listening to this podcast, but on the off chance, I won't spoil it. That's my favorite scene from all of season four. So, Joseph, um, same, same question to yourself. It's exactly like you in terms of we didn't discuss it. I, in fairness, I could have discussed this episode easily. I love the start of Clues. Um, oh yeah! Again, nothing to do with the overall plot of the episode. I just love the. It's just the music kicks in. It's excellent, and it's basically the music is cool because the music comes across as really confident. Just kind of yes, we're the next generation. We're Star Trek. We're great. So there you have it. And it's just Picard giving a captain's log saying we finished our mission early, and now we're just off, and everyone's enjoying themselves because you know you have to do a ledger activity on the Enterprise. It's like day to day. Like you could have easily just been imagining that. I love it. It's simple. It's effective. It's kind of they're going like 
you know, we don't always do adventures. We can just do normal things at times. It leads into Picard on a Dixon Hill adventure. I love it. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. But John, that is it. That is for season four. The best got better. And we're going to see how it, like season five is criminally brilliant as well. There's so much good episodes here as well. So You'd actually nearly we're... want to say season five. Would you just stop? Just no. stop. Just just give us a code of honor. All right. <laughs> Halfway through the season. Oh, Sean, I can't wait to see when you find that code of honor episode of season five. We'll discuss it next week as you as you want to do. So, guys, thank you very much for listening. Also, our team tune is developed by Martino Vaca and his wonderful music. So, guys, thanks very much. I've been your host, Sean Hurley. I have been your co-host, Sean Ferrick and Adam Carbon Rod. And we... <laughs> myself and the carbon rod will be discussing code of honor next week in our five hour special breakdown episode guys thanks very much we'll talk to you next week bye